Well, hello again and welcome in. Wherever you are today, wherever you're listening from, I'm so happy to have you over to feast upon God's Word together. Get your plate ready today and take a seat. It's the 44, which is Matthew 4, 4. Man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's eat. I'm your host, Jed Yancey, and if you're listening to this on release day, which is every Friday around 4 a.m., I'm about 30,000 feet or so above you at the moment, headed to Barbados to do some preaching and teaching with a few other men, and I'm really excited about this opportunity to spread the good news um, in a place that I've never been. Uh, But there's one little hiccup in me going. While she is excited about me going, and she is supportive of me going, my beautiful bride, Megan, is a little, um, well, maybe not a little, but lots worried. Um, So uh, while I would appreciate your prayers over the next week on my behalf and, and these other men that are going to Barbados, I would appreciate even more you keep her in your prayers as she takes on our busy schedule by herself for the week at home. Um, now, while Megan is most worried about being home alone and, uh, and being with the kids all week, I know her and airplanes and her fear of flying. And so she shares uh, that fear and carries it over into me. And so those those things don't mix well. So, of course, she's worried about a plane crash or, or something going bad while I'm there, you know, like maybe a hurricane or something. And um, I, I don't worry about these things. But uh, while I sure hope that doesn't happen, I mean, I mean honestly, it, it could, um, you know, so I, I've, I've been going through all my podcast titles that I've done so far and, and listened to some old ones and, and was thinking... Okay, um, and not to be morbid here, but you know, if if this is the last message I ever got to preach, what would I say? What question would I try to answer? And while I've been thinking about that a lot, I can't help but to think about the question that may be the most important question someone could ever ask. We see it in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 8, to an extent, um, it's asked explicitly this way in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer. And that question is, what must I do to be saved? So why this? Um, You know, in the the, uh, way that I laid that out. Well, I would hope that if this is the last time you ever heard from me, and we both knew that, and you hadn't done these things we're going to talk about already, I would want you to know this most important thing. And if you had already done these things, I would still want you to know this or remind you of this most important thing to go and to tell others about. I'm also mindful of something Paul says in Romans chapter 10 as he says, his heart's desire Like from deep within him, his desire and his prayer to God was for them, he says, Jews and Gentiles alike. In in other words, all. His desire was for all their salvation. And a little bit later in that chapter, division of, of Romans 10, 
He goes back to Isaiah and he writes this, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And there just isn't a better thing to talk about, I don't think, than the free gift of salvation and this question, what must I do to be saved? So in tackling that question, which I've done several times over the last year and a half in a, in a one-on-one basis with, with different people, the easy answer is exactly what we see said to this Philippian jailer after he asked this question. What should I do to be saved in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30? And, and another variation to this would be the question we see in Acts 2.37. After Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, the people... Uh, you know, they're gathered there and they look around and say, okay, because of all of this, like, what should we do? And the answer is the same. It's believe, it's confess his name, it's repent, and it's be baptized. But let me show you the bones to that meat in scripture because, you know, many are fine to just say and, and do say, just believe in him. Or, you know, just say a sinner's prayer, which I still haven't found in the Bible, uh, and, and do that in order to be saved. And I, I've had this come up here recently with someone I was talking to, and so it's only helpful to go somewhere in Scripture to answer this, and guess what? We can. First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, one of my favorite places to go as it pertains to this question And Peter writes there, corresponding to that, which we'll talk about in a second, baptism now saves you. Did you hear that? Baptism now saves you, not by the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting about this passage is how it begins corresponding to that. Well, corresponding to what? Uh, In the verse before, it makes reference to Noah and the ark in which a few, uh, eight people to be exact, were brought safely through the water, which is interesting, right? Uh, Not just that it explicitly says baptism now saves you, but there's this picture that Peter paints for us of Noah being saved through the water. A man who the Bible says found favor in the eyes of God, and God says, hey, build this boat, do it this way with all these specifications, and guess what? Noah did it according to all that God commanded him. Noah was saved through his belief and his faith in God, and God said, I know this sounds crazy, but build a boat. Noah did, and he saved. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. And thank you, Lord, the response of my faith and my belief isn't to build an ark of that size with all those specifications. It's baptism. So you see, I I think that there are many who believe that a person is just automatically saved because in some way, shape, or form, they've called out on the name of the Lord. But, But we have an example from Jesus about that, don't we? In Matthew chapter 7, he addresses this twice And he says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through that gate. But listen to this, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are, listen to this, few 
who find it. But wait, right? Like, that's not the way we think about it. I mean, in in our minds, it's the other way around. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to life. And there are many that find it. And then on the flip side, the gate is narrow and the way is small that leads to destruction. And there are few that find it. But that's not what the Lord says here. And on top of that, a few verses later, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what is his will for us when it comes to entering the kingdom of heaven? Or in the context of this corresponding to that verse in 1 Peter, in this connection between baptism and Noah's situation, what was God's will for Noah? Believe in me, build a boat, and I'll save you. And oh yeah, it was only eight people, which is very few. That's not very many. You see, my opinion here, but I think the assumption here for many is that the gate is wide and broad that leads to heaven. And the path is narrow and the path is small that leads to destruction. And we think that way. I believe, because we read in places like John 3.16, God loves us so much that he sent his only son. And then Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it uh, talks about the free gift of God and, and it being eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's free and God loves us so much. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God wants every person to be saved, and he does. But there's a really important choice that has to be made. You see, we can answer this question all day, what must I do to be saved? But you still have to decide. God can tell you all day long how much he loves you, and he can and does answer this question many times in Scripture about what must I do to be saved. But that choice is yours to make on whether or not you obey him and accept the gospel or the good news of our Lord Jesus. So it's either, yes, I will do these things, as we saw the Philippian jailer and his household do, or the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, or else what? Well, it's laid out pretty clear either way you decide to go. And I think most clearly in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, as we get both sides, right? And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us. It's talking about there those who have believed and confessed and repented and were baptized. When the, when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he'll come with his mighty angels. For those that have done the will of the Father, right, uh, they're going to get rest. But for the rest, in flaming fire, you will bring judgment on those who don't know God. And listen to this, those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. What's worse than being separated from the Lord is the idea that it is forever and for eternity. But wait, so... There will be more that don't believe than do. 
and there will be more that don't do the will of the Father than do? Yeah, that's what he says, right? Narrow is the gate that leads to life. Few will take that route. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Many will take that route. He said it. I didn't. So how am I one of the few? How do I, how do you, get in that narrow gate? How do I obey the gospel and avoid that eternal destruction? What must I do to be saved? And the first thing that we would say here, right, or the first thing the Bible says here is believe. Believe in what? Well, believe in Jesus, specifically what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he did. In John chapter 20, John writes that all this stuff Jesus did was written and recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So do you believe these things that you read about him, that people witnessed and recorded? And if so, that's a good start. But what about the things Paul preached by which we're saved in 1 Corinthians 15? As a matter of first importance, he says, you believe that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures? Do you believe that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures? Good. You see, it's the gospel message, the good news about Jesus that produces that belief and that faith. Paul says in Romans 1, he's not ashamed of the gospel for it is, you hear that? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And what's really cool is that we can see that play out um, as kind of a blueprint, right? In Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 16 with the Philippian jailer, after Philip preaches to um, preaches Jesus to the eunuch in Acts 8, this man wants to be baptized. And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then you may. And he does. The Philippian jailer, back where we began, what must I do to be saved? The first thing said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and all your household. But it didn't stop there. And we'll get to that in a second. You know, the the good thing, these guys did believe and, and took that first step because the thought of the flip side, again, isn't great. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus says, you'll die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, unless you believe that, you will die in your sins. So if we got that first part, belief, I think the second part here is is to confess, to admit openly your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to this uh, again, back to Romans 10, a little bit later in verse 8. It says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach, Paul says. If you openly declare, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be safe. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring, it is by confessing your faith that you're saved. And if you need an example, again, back to Acts 8, Acts 16, they do exactly this. So if we got belief, we got 
confession or openly declaring. I think thirdly is repentance. Uh, It's something that God loves, right? God is offering to save us from our sins. And so it should only make sense that we do our best to avoid sin and avoid the very things that are not His will for us. Like what, right? I mean, is there a list of things? Well, yes, there is. We go to 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5. Like, there are some things that aren't His will. And yes, in order for us to inherit the kingdom of God, in order for us to to be saved, in order for us to uh, redeem that free eternal gift, right? We can't practice these things. And if we are, repentance is key. And not just key, but again, something God loves and rewards. And should you decide to skip this part and you don't repent, Luke chapter 13, verse 5 tells us, unless you repent, you will perish. And then finally, the most controversial part of this question, for reasons I'm sometimes not sure about, is is baptism. Um, What must I do to be saved? Yeah, baptism is a part of that. Full immersion in water. And while there are probably as many variations of baptisms as there are denominations, there's only one in Scripture. Ephesians 4 talks about this. There's one body, there's one spirit, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Just one, only one. And so I think it's important, you know, salvation from the very beginning has always been built on some kind of an expression of our faith. You go back to Noah, uh, you know, much like Noah displayed his faith and his belief through the building of a boat, or, or what about Moses, right? It wasn't, wasn't enough to just have faith and believe. He went back to face the Pharaoh. What about all those mentioned in the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Sure, they had faith. We would all say that. They believed But those mentioned in Hebrews 11 are in there because of their expression of faith, acting on that faith and that belief in God. How about Abraham, who's told, circumcise your sons, and he did. So what do we do? Well, in the New Testament, we are still saved by faith, but we express that faith in a different way. We we don't circumcise, we don't build a boat We read that when someone believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that the expression of faith in what what they should then do is repent of sin and be immersed in water. The 3,000 in Acts chapter 2 did that. The Philippian jailer in Acts 16 did that. Paul does this in Acts 9 and Acts 22. It's important. It's necessary. And not of my own opinion, but of Jesus saying, Remember in John 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is super confused by this, and he asks, Okay, well, like, how is that? And Jesus' answer is, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says again in verse 7, You must be born again. And if that's not enough, you listen to the words of Jesus before his ascension into heaven after the resurrection. 
Mark chapter 16, he tells his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, preach the good news to all creation. And he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. You see, I don't know a whole lot, but I do know this. God has and always will do exactly what he says he will do. And he says that one day he's coming back. And it will be those few that have made their choice to accept that free gift that he will come back and save. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, one day, dead or alive, you will be caught up together with him in the sky to meet the Lord in the air, and there we shall be for all of eternity. So what must I do to be saved? Die with Christ in the waters of baptism and do exactly what he says his will is. Believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. And if you haven't done that, please don't wait any longer. As I close, let me share this with you. There's this parable Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. And in this is a rich man who dies. Uh, he's, he's buried and he's now in this place of torment. And, it, and it's brutal. And it's from afar, he can see Abraham and, and this other man named Lazarus in his bosom. And he hollers out from afar, please have mercy on me. Send Lazarus over here to me. And allow him to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. I'm in agony. The flames are hot and this is brutal. I need help. But listen to Abraham's response and the rest of the parable, beginning there in verse 25. But Abraham said to him, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he's being comforted here, and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's this great chasm that's fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they don't listen to Moses and they don't listen to the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. From torment, this rich man is begging to warn others before it's too late. And I can't help but to think that for many, one day, it will just simply be too late. Don't wait any longer. There's no coming back. And as the rich man was begging Abraham, I'm begging you today. 
If you've not done so already, believe, confess his name, repent, and be baptized, for it is in that you will be saved. As I close, I usually tell you guys I love you, and I will in just a minute, but I think it's only fitting to remove me for a second and tell you again how much God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to live and to die sacrificially in your place. And he did it for you. Why? So you would be saved. The Hebrew writer puts it this way. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. If you haven't done so yet, man, build your boat, follow God's will, and may we all enter into that narrow gate and hear the Lord say one day, Job well done, my good and faithful servant, come on in and worship me forever. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I love you, and I'll talk to you next week from the beautiful island of Barbados.